Our text today uh, is going to be Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, 1 through 10, uh, and uh, I'll read it if you could stand, and we'll, we'll, uh, I'll read it to you, but uh, if we could stand together while we do this. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, let's pray. Lord, thank you you for this opportunity to to bring a message here. Uh, I pray that you would uh, assist me in delivering it, uh, help me uh, uh, deliver it well. Please uh, guard me from error, and uh, please bless the uh, ears and hearts of the hearers here as well. I pray that you would have... Uh, have uh, your way with your purpose with them. And uh, I pray uh, especially again for your assistance here as we go. Amen. Go slow, they said. I will endeavor to do so. <laughs> so uh, so uh, as Adam said, I'm Jeff Green. Um, some of you know me. Uh, most of you probably know me. Um, so this is, uh, as, as Adam said, this is the last Sunday uh, before Eric returns. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of something that actually this happened to my dad. This is a story of his uh, here a number of years back. He had been preaching uh, uh, at a nursing home ministry that uh, his church had. This is down in the States. And uh, he'd been preaching there for a number of weeks straight, actually several months straight uh, at the time. And uh, so they'd have basically a chapel service he would preach, and they would uh, uh, bring, the, bring the folks, the older folks in to, to hear it and have a kind of regular church service because they couldn't easily travel to, uh, uh, to, uh, to an outside church. And then uh, bring them back, and he as- would assist with, uh, uh, with bringing them back. Uh, and after one of the sermons, uh, he uh, was bringing this particular lady back to her, uh, to her room, and he asked her, you know, you know Mabel, whatever her name was, uh, you know, what did you think of the service today? And she, she looked at him and said, oh, I'm so glad it, it was you. And this is edited a little bit for language. I'm so glad it was you. You should have seen the clown that was here last week. So, uh, <laughs> so you can next week with enthusiasm tell Eric how glad you are to have him back. You should have seen the clown that was here last week. So, <laughs> so, uh, so this passage here that, uh, that we have in Ephesians 2 has, uh, has two main parts that I uh, would draw your attention to as we get started, and we'll reference it here back a little bit at the end. Uh, there's a before part, and there's an after part. Uh, the, the before part gives us the brutal and honest truth of uh, our uh, human condition and destiny without God. Uh, without God's omnipotent act of resurrection to make us alive in Christ, uh, we're dead in our sins and have incurred the righteous wrath of a holy God. The after part is the good news, uh, and we don't have to be stuck with the bad news. Uh, the same holy God has accomplished salvation for us, and will actually apply that salvation uh, in the lives of those that come to him in faith, and that is really good news. I want that. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to get that. So, uh, As we get started, I would uh, uh, draw your attention uh, as well to the overall flow and the process that's in this passage. Uh, Paul describes these two states, we were and then we are. 
Uh, If you've not placed your faith and trust in Christ to forgive your sins, the first part of the passage describes you right now uh, in your current state. Uh, But for those who are in Christ, the first verses uh, did apply to you, but don't anymore. Uh, Your situation has changed, and gloriously so. I want that to also to sink in. Uh, these, uh, these later verses do apply to you. So at the beginning, uh, I would draw a bright line here between being dead in trespasses and being made alive in Christ. And that bright line points directly to Christ. Okay? So, Paul presupposes that his audience is already Christian. And this is, this is a letter to Christians, Ephesians is. Uh, it was an established church at Ephesus, fairly, fairly large church, relatively large church for its time and its place. Uh, and I will do so as well. I, I, I will. Uh, there's uh, kind of a difficulty. I'm, you know, wearing a couple of different hats uh, within this uh, sermon. Uh, Paul is too here. Uh, so I will speak to you as though I am speaking to Christians. But I want to be careful here. Please, please don't get lost in that assumption. That, in other words, just because you're here and just because I say we or Paul says us or something to that effect, that this will automatically include you. Okay? It may not. And I want everyone to take that very seriously. Okay, so let's get into our text. Uh, Verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's surprising here that he states uh, actually twice in verse one and then later in verse five that we were dead in our trespasses uh, and then goes on to describe us as doing things that seem to require life, right? Uh, we are walking, following, living, carrying out desires. How can this be? Aren't we dead? I mean, you just said that. Aren't we dead? The dead don't normally do anything, right? There are two main points that I think need have come out of that or need to be made here. Uh, one is that this death is not merely physical, uh, as in the, the cessation or the stopping of life processes. It's got to be referring to something else. Uh, and I think that the only option and the only other thing that this could be referring to is spiritual death. Uh, and, and that implies a, a culmination or a, a, a completion in physical death. So it's, uh, there's a physical life in the here and now, but with spiritual death, we'll eventually bring a physical death as well. And uh, generally speaking, this death, this separation, uh, is specifically here from God who gives life of all types, spiritual life and physical life. So, so death is uh, a separation from God, okay? We have a few ideas, uh, you know, kind of around us that give at least a little bit of a glancing view of this. Uh, we might refer to someone or even ourselves as dead meat. Uh, we are not yet physically dead, but are in serious trouble. Uh, for example... I locked the oven door shut by playing around with the uh, self-cleaning mode while uh, mom's dinner roast was still in there. I am dead meat. Uh, (laughs) Ask me how I know. I'm sure none of you have ever done anything like that. We refer to a boat or something like a boat by metaphor uh, as being dead in the water. It's not obliterated. uh, It's not destroyed, but it's lacking an important function uh, that provides motive force, uh, a capacity for self-initiative. It's just kind of sitting there. It's not obliterated. It's just kind of there. Uh, Think of your boat being dead in the water up the canyon from Chitna. Uh, The first time I ever took a boat down the canyon, there was kind of a moment there where I I stopped and uh, kind of realized the gravity of what I was about to do. Uh, You know, as far as I was aware, I had prepared everything. My boat was in good shape. I had all the gear that I needed. I had a big offshore life jacket that was supposed to keep my head out of the water. Uh, And uh, I, I know that 
uh, very few people who go in the water there make it out. And so there was, uh, um, there was uh, a realization, I would say, of what I was about to do. And uh, in that moment, everything was fine. And I said to myself, you know, I, I don't have to do this. I, I, could just, <laughs> I could just turn around and go home and say I didn't get any fish or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, which likely would have happened anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, that wasn't what I came there to do. And so I, I said, said a little prayer. And I even felt a temptation to cross myself or something to, like, emphasize it. I didn't, but I thought about it. Uh, and, uh, and off I went, you know. And, and it... it I'm still here, so it worked fine. You know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, if my boat quit, I might not current. I might currently be alive. I might not be in any instantaneous problem. Uh, I'm just kind of going with the flow, right? Uh, but there's a reckoning coming, uh, and uh, and quickly <laughs> if that situation doesn't change. I mean, you got a few minutes, but you don't have much more than a few minutes. And uh, so we start off here as as dead in our trespasses and sins. But we're not physically dead, right? Uh, we can move, we can do stuff, but we're kind of stuck in a rut, uh, so to speak. We can do things, but we can only do certain things, and we can only do those certain things in a certain way. Uh, and uh, as we see here, we, we follow the course of this world. That's the default position of this uh, being dead in sins. Uh, we, uh, we also follow the prince of the power of the air, okay? Uh, we live in the passions of our flesh, and carry out the desires of our body and mind. Uh, and this is uh, summed up, this whole situation is summed up here at the end of verse 3 with, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, this is a human condition. Paul includes himself here. Uh, nobody outside of Christ is exempt. Okay? This is not just the province of bad people or those who have lived then versus now. This is not primitive people versus enlightened ones, uh, you know, as if we were so enlightened now. Uh, it's a human condition. We are, we are uh, included in this worldly system. Uh, we were children of wrath, uh, as is everyone else. So this, is, this encompasses every single person. Uh, Keith has said in the past, we're born in a rebel camp. I, I, that's a great description of this. We come into this world under the sway of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, there's no spiritual pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or, or self-improvement that we can do. It's not available to us. We're dead. Uh, Note here, uh, in particular, the, uh, in verse 2, the use of the term here, sons of disobedience. Uh, this is a Semitic term. Uh, it's common uh, uh, it commonly used there, just a kind of a phrase. Uh, it wasn't used to describe uh, uh, a person by who their literal father was, uh, but to equate or compare a person to the thing that they were a son of. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, for instance, James and John were the sons of thunder, though they were the literal sons of Zebedee, right? Uh, Joseph, uh, who we better know now as Barnabas, uh, was, uh, he, got, he got that nickname because he was the son of encouragement. Okay? The debate between Jesus and the Pharisees in John 8 was over who their father was, uh, or if you could turn that around, who they were sons of. Uh, they asserted that Abraham was their father. But this can't be, Jesus says. Uh, uh, if it was true, they would be doing the works that Abraham did. Uh, uh, instead, they're trying to kill him. They take it up a notch, you know, kind of, Go big or go home, you know. Uh, they were not born of sexual immorality. I mean, here they're, I think, trying to make a little bit of a dig here. Uh, God is their father. Think of the irony of this. Who they are telling is that God is their father, okay? Just, I mean, they went big, okay? Uh, Jesus brilliantly, and he does, he's, he does this brilliantly, infuriates them uh, by revealing 
God isn't their father, Satan is their father. Uh, and uh, that he was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. Uh, therefore, they're the sons of Satan, uh, his apprentices. They're just following the family trade, okay? Some other examples. Jesus is referred to repeatedly as the son of David, okay? That's a, that's a messianic claim. He's, he, uh, it, uh, it means that he is the, the rightful heir of the throne, okay? Uh, there, Ezekiel 30 refers to sons of the covenant, okay? Sons of light in Luke 16, verse 8. Sons of this age in Luke 20. So there's a number of examples. There's others. I mean, I, I have to stop at some point, but there's, there's lots of different ones. You'll see, any, anytime you see son of and something else, that should draw your attention to it. A simple question drops out of this. Uh, whose son or daughter are you? Who would those who know you actually say that you are? The son of pride? The daughter of a sharp tongue? The son of hospitality? the daughter of generosity, who are you? Note here as well, uh, the use of the term flesh in verse three. Uh, when modern English speakers uh, hear this term, uh, you might think of uh, physical bodies like flesh and bone, you know, like the, you know, the stuff we're made of. Uh, or, or maybe sexual sin, there's kind of a connotation from that. And these are valid, these are valid understandings of the term. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, it's not exactly what Paul is getting at here. And, and this is a much bigger topic I thought of including it, but it would, we would run way over time, so, uh, so I didn't. But the key idea here is that uh, Paul frequently refers to this, and it's important to understand what he means here. When Paul talks about flesh or life in the flesh, he usually, though not always, you have to be careful, uh, means it is referring to our sinful nature. Okay, in NIV, I think, uh, instead of flesh, uh, at least some, one of the versions of NIV, I think, refers to this as, as sinful nature, uh, uh, which is hostile to God or in contradiction with life in the spirit. And so I would, uh, if you could turn to Romans 8, 5 through 8. Um, we'll wait a second. It's kind of interesting to hear. I see most people scrolling. Uh, I like paper Bibles. Uh, they have great battery life and uh, readable in broad daylight. And so, uh, I don't know, the search function's a little weak though. But. Um, for those who live according to the flesh, set their, this is verse five, for those living who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we see here three things, and this is from Ephesians, there are three things that constrain our actions while we're dead in our trespasses. Uh, the world, uh, that was from verse two, uh, that we're following the course of this world. We're just going with the flow, uh, like dead salmon going downstream in the fall. We're just, just going with it. Uh, the spiritual prince that's at work in the sons of disobedience, uh, and our flesh, which is our sinful nature that is hostile to God. Uh, think of it as three sets of handcuffs, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, any, any single one would hold us in bondage, uh, but even if we broke free from one, there's two more, okay? Uh, we're shackled by our sin, but more than shackled to it, we're grabbing onto it with both hands, white knuckle tight, riding it to the bottom. Uh, we don't want to let it go. We love it. Why would we let it go? And even if there is some component that we realize is not for good, we can't simply let go of it because there's other things that hold us captive, these, these, other, these shackles. So even if we would resist, we can't because we're dead. We lack the motive capability, the self-initiative to do anything of spiritual benefit before God. We are dead 
stinking dead before him. Even the nice things or the good things uh, that we do, let alone the bad, only stack up our offense before God. There's one idea here I would want to just jettison kind of at the outset. There's this idea that's kind of popularly out there of like my good things outweigh my bad, you know? Scripture says that uh, anything not done in faith is sin. So even the good things are on the same pile as your bad ones, okay? So this is not a balance here. So um, the world provides a context and a script for you. Uh, Buy this, do this, act like this. You feel it in the almost gravitational pull uh, to be cool, liked, relevant, uh, to be taken seriously. Civilized, polite society has a set of expectations for you. Uh, it's a social contract, I think, is, the, is a nice way to say that. Um, uh, this is what good people do, uh, even if it's really, really bad. Our flesh uh, uh, is our sinful nature that is, uh, that is hostile to God. Our heart churns out a set of idols. Uh, even good things, or things that started out as good things, uh, we extend far beyond anything that's sensible. Our world has gone totally bonkers for uh, the pursuit of the flesh. And that's, that's the appetites, that's the desires that we have, but it's this hostility to God too. We consume things that we think we need, that we think we deserve, that things that we think will finally make us happy. Look at this, ingest this, feel this, love this, even if it kills you. The devil owns this system He's ruling over it as a prince and is intent on maintaining it. He's in opposition to God and is looking to destroy you. I think this is probably a neglected part of kind of our Western scientific materialist experience. It's tempting to forget or to explain away this component. Uh, we don't, or I should probably speak for myself, I don't often see like the overt things, the kind of the Hollywood version of what we would describe as a satanic thing. Like I just, I don't run into that on my daily basis. I'm guessing you probably don't either. Uh, but, uh, and it's, so it's easy with that to get kind of lulled into a sense of complacency. Uh, but as Joseph Heller said, uh, an author, uh, just because you aren't paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. <laughs> uh, it takes different forms in different places and times. So Satan is a master at playing this. Uh, Satan desired to sift the disciples. Uh, Peter describes him as prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking someone to devour Aside from the overt examples, which do happen, I think, we just don't necessarily see them here in our kind of local context, but uh, they, do, they do happen even then, I think, occasionally. Uh, I think we can see the work, this working uh, in, in the world in ways that are sort of seem unfortunate, uh, you know, little oddities uh, that, uh, you know, in and of themselves don't have like an overtly uh, evil sort of connotation, uh, but are not really neutral, Okay. So we see, you know, like the chance encounter, you know, maybe you're praying for a friend or your child that is, uh, um, you know, in with some other bad people is being kind of led down the path by bad people. And this, you think they're breaking away from it, but this chance encounter pulls them right back in. Uh, the, uh, the opportunities to fall back into our own particular sins are close at hand. As uh, Rosaria Butterfield put it, they know our address. Uh, and this is not a simple accident. This isn't just like a neutral thing in the world. This, this, is, uh, this is the three things. It's the world as a context. It's Satan who owns it. And it's our flesh that willingly gets into it. I want to be careful here not to veer into like ghost stories or sensationalized stuff. Uh, it's not my intent to entertain you with that uh, or even to scare you. It's to warn you. Uh, take it seriously. 
uh, be alert for these dangers. Christians, we are to resist the devil and the power of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, he's a defeated enemy. Christ has defeated him. Uh, but like a... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, but like a, mortal, uh, like a mortally wounded bear, uh, he's still dangerous and is certainly real. Uh, you ignore him at your peril. So who is this prince? We t- referred to him before, this prince of the power of the air. One, uh, there's basically two main features here. One, I would say, is this is a personal, spiritual being. Uh, and two is who is work and humans who reject God. I want to be careful here about the sense of a word. Uh, it might be easily misunderstood. Uh, and that is personal, the word personal. God is frequently referred to as personal, uh, uh, not because he is personal like a pan pizza, uh, in that he is the intended or, or that he is intended or configured specifically for you or that you selected him among other uh, choices because you liked him best. Okay, it's not how he's personal. You don't select the attributes of God that you might like and avoid the ones that you don't, okay? Personal, as it applies to God, and in this case to Satan, humans and angels that would be included in that as well, uh, means that they possess the attributes of personhood, okay? Uh, This prince is personal in that this is not merely the consequences of social ills to be remedied with education or something like that, uh, or being nice to each other. Uh, This is uh, not kind of an impersonal force of things just kind of unfortunately going wrong in the world. This is a personal being. Uh, This is a a spiritual being who is in concert with other spiritual beings, both uh, demons, basically, and, and humans, too. Uh, is opposed to God and is actively working against God's purposes, okay? He's referred to using similar language throughout Scripture. So uh, he's referred to in Matthew 12 as the prince of demons. He's referred to in 2 Corinthians 4 as the god of this world. He's the ruler of this world in John, three different locations in John. Uh, When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, uh, Satan claims uh, that worldly authority had been given to him, uh, and Jesus didn't uh, dispute that with him. First uh, John five nineteen says, "We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one." Uh, Colossians one three refers to two kingdoms: there's the dominion of darkness and the dominion of God's kingdom. Um, so these are this again. I'm not trying to scare you or to blow this out of proportion, but this is not something to be just simply ignored. Uh, this is uh, this is something to be taken seriously, and I hope that you do. So. So having given us this full-orbed view uh, here, this, uh, uh, this complete view of the natural human state uh, without Christ, Paul now gives us a ray of light, uh, and it comes in verse 4. And this is like a laser lighthouse through the fog. But God, this is the turning point. This, the whole thing turns on a dime right here. We are dead uh, in trespasses and bondage to a world system run by an evil prince who hates both us and God, following the desires of our sinful natures, and we're dead and rotting in the grave, spiritually. But God rips the lid off and shines the light in. He made us alive together with Christ. This same power that made Christ alive again in resurrection makes us alive with him. If this doesn't blow your mind, knock your socks off, shock you, this should, you maybe haven't thought enough about this. This is, this is, this is not the expected outcome, right? Of being dead in sin and then being made alive in Christ. So uh, Romans 6.4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in God's reckoning, we are united uh, with Christ in his death and are made alive together with him in resurrection. 
This is unlike anything that we see from anyone else, anywhere else. There's religion, philosophy, schools of thought, cults of personality, anywhere, nothing is like this. Everything else is essentially just self-improvement. Follow this path, be nice, be friendly, inclusive, you do you. Follow your heart, be your authentic self. We're all on a different path to God. I won't confront your sin if you don't confront mine. That's a deal, right? These are all essentially the same dead end. Uh, you and your flesh, absent Christ, cannot please God. But here we are, dead and then alive. Before we can get the chance to pat ourselves on the back uh, for having accomplished this ourselves or because it's, you know, deep down we're really great people, uh, he interjects with, by grace you have been saved. There's no self-improvement here. He blows that clean away at the outset. Uh, and he keeps going. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is to point us back a bit, uh, a little bit to chap- the previous chapter, chapter one. Uh, there Paul lists the gracious acts of God, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this is, this is really good stuff. This is deep, rich stuff. Uh, your homework for tonight is to go read Ephesians 1. <laughs> I, I, might, I maybe should have preached on that instead of this, but this is good stuff too. Uh, for the sake of time, I'll just list these quickly. Uh, but they're there in Ephesians 1 for you to go dig into. You could spend weeks on that. Uh, so these, uh, uh, these, these gracious acts of God, these spiritual blessings here. Uh, election in Christ before the foundation of the world. Being predestined for adoption as sons through Christ. Redemption, forgiveness, and inheritance. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And we have been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Further, this is, and this is again from Ephesians 1, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Again, this is immeasurable power. This is omnipotent power. The working of his great might, the omnipotent God who is so fundamentally sovereign over everything in the whole world that he can make dead things live. Okay? No, again, no, nobody else does this. Nothing else, nothing else does this. Dead things stay dead, right? And he gives us the why as well. This is uh, from uh, Ephesians 2. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul here again references backward a little bit. Uh, this same phrase, uh, by grace you have been saved, he used earlier uh, when he was telling us that we've been made alive together with Christ. And Paul repeats these again for emphasis. You're saved by God's omnipotent, sovereign work, which makes you alive together with Christ. Note here uh, as well also the references to work from chapter one, uh, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So here in chapter two, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works, but by his. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. How are we to be made alive together with Christ to be saved? By grace, not works. So how does this come to us? Through faith. The gracious initiative of God makes us alive and we remain in that life by faith. It is there that the start, it is there at the start and continues on from there to the end. 
Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith is the first and it's the continuing activity of the Christian. Those dead in their trespasses and sins don't do it. Uh, They cannot do it. Romans 8 just told us that. So what do we do from here? Uh, If you've been made alive together with Christ, if you are in Christ, rejoice. This should give you a serious, glorious zing. This this should matter to you. (laughs) Uh, Be about the work of sanctification in your life. Uh, Kill sin. If more Christians uh, killed sin in their lives with the same fervency that they kill spiders in their lives, uh, things would look very different. (laughs) Uh, Do not pet or coddle or hide or uh, defend your sin. Kill it or it will be killing you. Give it no quarter, take no prisoners. Continue in the faith that began as you were made alive together with Christ. Persevere and endure through the present sufferings and look to Christ. But what of those who are not in Christ? So at the beginning I noted that there was a before and after uh, element to this or a part of this. Uh, Paul's writing to Christians, and I've largely been speaking to them here. Uh, They're in after mode. Uh, You might still be in before mode, which is life in the flesh. Hostility toward God, and in a word, dead. You know this to be true of you. You don't deny it, can't deny it. In your heart of hearts, you know this to be true. So I have just one question for you. Does being made alive together with Christ sound like good news to you? Like really good news? The kind you've been waiting for? Or not? If it does, that's the starting point. Uh, Those who are dead in their sin do not consider this good news uh, at all. They'll laugh and scoff and kind of walk away. Um, When the light shines, they run and hide. Uh, But for those uh, to whom this is an actual ray of sunshine uh, and draws them closer, uh, we'll be finding what they're looking for. No one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. And this is, if if this is good news to you, I think this is the beginning of that drawing process. Uh, And I would implore you, put your faith in Christ. Don't concern yourself now with all the stuff you're going to have to get, give up or, or uh, all the skeletons that are in your closet. I mean, it, it, as Christians, part of our sanctification, you, you, will, you will have to give those things up. But the difference is, is that at the time you will want to, and under the Spirit's power, you'll be able to. So you don't have to clean up to come to Jesus, in other words. He, he, he will do that. So... Uh, Christ did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. You'll have to make these changes and more, uh, to be sure. There's more, <laughs> more that you'll have to do than you probably realize. Uh, but uh, if this is something you are feeling drawn toward now, uh, don't delay. Uh, there's a room full of people here that would love nothing more than to talk to you about this. I would lo- Grab me afterward. I'd love to visit with you about it. Any of the pastors here, uh, there would be, uh, be a lot of people who would love to talk to you about this. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, uh, for loving us even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And thank you for making the initiative to make us alive. And I pray that, that, uh, uh, that you would continue to do that, that uh, those who would hear this would uh, uh, either rejoice in that, uh, that they have been made alive, or would uh, be drawn to you to make them alive. And uh, I just pray your uh, blessing over uh, us as we go. And uh, uh, just... Uh, 
Uh, I pray for the baptisms coming up as well. Uh, thank you for them. And uh, thank you for being our God. I love you. Amen.